You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill. This week, Jean-Claude Van Damme is a time cop with a lion heart. and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 or to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and Thomas, that dude's gonna kill you! Don't you know that? That dude's gonna kill you, Thomas! And I'm Thomas Mariani, and I better make sure I avoid that dude killing me while I keep my sweet-ass 2004-era mullet. Aw, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so welcome everybody to the Double Edge Double Bill, where every week Adam and I pick uh, two movies um, at random. Um, one has two good movies, the other has two bad movies. We switch up on quality for that kind of thing. Uh, but we do them around the subject, and the subject, as chosen by our patrons, our edgelord patrons at uh, patreon.com slash dedbpod, which we'll talk about near the end of the show a bit more, uh, they chose between two action stars for us to devote an entire episode to and we ended up with jean-claude van damme who we've talked about previously on the show in one of our favorite bad movies no retreat no surrender in his minor very early role in that brilliant film but adam um i know you have been really wanting to do this episode for a while because you were a big fan of jean-claude growing up right he was one of the big action stars along with like people who've done previous episodes on like stallone and schwarzenegger like Van Damme sort of mm-hmm. sits in a solid like uh, you know, bronze, I guess, with those. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, maybe not for me. When I was a kid, it was probably he was probably the silver. It was definitely probably Schwarzenegger, Van Damme, and Stallone uh, for me. But yeah, I definitely grew up just with a huge sort of admiration and fascination uh, with Jean Claude movies. And I mean, I just I've seen them all probably for the most part uh and some of them ad nauseum he, he was like my guy growing up for sure and what do you think sort of separates him from sort of like the stallones and the sportsnakers what do you think makes him so distinct besides maybe his belgian heritage definitely his looks um for sure and the style of uh sort of action movies he does like the martial arts sort of aspect of it and his sort of fighting style and, and martial arts technique are unlike anybody else's out there. Not to say that they're better or good necessarily, but nobody else was fighting like this guy with the mix of ballet and with, you know, the typical karate and stuff like that. Like he was just incredibly, incredibly unique. Yeah. I think cause a big thing is um I have mentioned previously, I've, I grew up a lot with Schwarzenegger and Stallone. I caught up with more gradually with uh, Mr. JCVD. I was not, uh, privy to much of his filmography until pretty much researching for the show. Like before the show, I had seen him in um, No Treat, No Surrender, obviously, The Expendables 2, which he's also in, and then the two Kung Fu Panda movies where he voices a crocodile. <laughs> that had been most of my exposure 
to his filmography uh, until fairly recently when we've been doing some movie night stuff off mic and I've been watching a lot more of his movies. And I think uh, with a bit more, uh, you know, Jean-Claude under my belt, I think the big thing is that he kind of has a middle ground between Stallone and Schwarzenegger because he hasn't sort of like foreigner attempting to like sort of fit into an American action hero mold of Schwarzenegger. And he also has a bit of like the the physical fitness of Stallone from when he was coming onto the scene, when, you know, Stallone looked like a human being. Um, and I think that's what Jean-Claude, even as big as he was, he also had at that time, is that he looked buff, but buff in a human way, not like Schwarzenegger, like I'm a Greek statue, come to life kind of thing. He felt like buff in a realistic fashion. But then I think the thing that makes him particularly separate from both of them is the flexibility. Not just him doing the splits, obviously his big trademark, but also... His fucking flexible face that wasn't stone face at all, just like very rubbery and able to move around as much as possible. I mean, going for the the money shot birdie, you know, whatever you want to call it, with each emotion constantly, just over-emoting. Um, do you think potentially he's um, a better actor than either Stallone or Schwarzenegger or other action hero types? Or do you think he's kind of like uh, really maybe fallen off even more so than them in recent years? Uh, you know, the thing is, I think he's gotten better as he's gotten older, uh, where sort of Stallone and Arnold have fallen into like just old hat bullshit, uh, especially like, you know, watch uh, uh, Sabotage or The Expendables with Stallone or even with Arnold and that. It, it, they're kind of just want to play the same type of character they did in, you know, the 80s and early 90s, whereas Van Damme, has a, he's done a lot more weird stuff lately. Uh, taking a lot more chances is makes fun of himself a lot more now and sort of is uh, buying into this whole gimmick as the handsome, sexy martial arts guy. And uh, he's like I said, he's only gotten better for it. Yeah, I think a lot of that probably comes from the fact that he had at least behind the scenes a lot more of a sort of uh, bigger fall from grace because like Schwarzenegger and Stallone fell out of popularity, but their fall wasn't nearly as like publicly, you know, filled with drug addiction and kind of like ego maniacal right. behavior that was like destructive a lot more um so i think he kind of like was humbled by an experience like that uh but yeah especially watching sort of his 90s movies you can tell that there was like you can see how an ego was inflated in the late 80s early 90s and then by the time you get to some of his more introspective and sort of self uh you know deprecating works i think he has a lot more uh potential range but then again that's also in a sea of like straight to video movies he does now most of which I've heard are not great. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I haven't seen most of them. Um, but yeah, that's what I've heard too. I heard most are pretty awful. And plus, also, he was a guy who kind of like a Stallone um, was also a bit more involved, like with behind the scenes stuff. Like he would be like a big writer and producer type of person on some of his projects. And even he directed a couple. I know at least there's like the Quest, which I've heard <clears> is like an infamous kind of failure. And then there's that one that like he directed apparently like a decade ago and still hasn't like officially gotten a release. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also in a lot of his older ones too, he was also a lot of times a fight choreographer, if not the actual action director too. Right. Like sometimes he would be the one who direct the fight scenes, which, you know, a lot of people, that classic sort of 80s motif where it shows the same shot over and over and over from oh, different right. angles. We're going to talk about that with at least one of our movies in particular. <laughs> that is him. That is all his style. He loves to do it. By the way, the movie I was referring to is Frenchie, is the title, apparently, of this movie. He shot in 2012 
and has been attempting to be finished over the last decade or so. Um, his second directorial effort. But we're not talking about that film uh, or a lot of the other ones. We're talking about two specific ones that, as I mentioned at the end of our last episode, we picked our good and bad feature for this particular week for this Jean-Claude Van Damme-focused episode. Uh, our good pick, which was Adam's Choice, ended up being Time Cop from 1994, and then uh, the bad pick which I chose was Lionheart from 1991. But first we're going to talk about Time Cup. In the year 2004, time travel is a reality. You are charged with violations of TEC code 40.8 time travel with intent to alter the future. And a crime. It turns out going back in time is a pretty easy way to make money. The genie is already out of the bottle. The technology is there. Now, one man. You ever hear the name Aaron McComb? Is about to take the ultimate power trip. He's gonna be president. You don't need the press. You don't need endorsements. You don't even need the truth. You need money. But to enforce the laws of time. Are we still together? in 10 years? Am I dead? One man is determined to stop him. I cannot go back to save her. This scumbag is not going back to steal money. Stay here, Walker. I think you planned too far ahead. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Ron Silver. Mia Sarah. Time Cop came out September 16th, 1994, uh, directed by Peter Himes, who we've talked about a few times on the show with stuff like Outland um, and uh, End of Day, speaking of Arnold, um, our previous ones we talked about on the show. Uh, but it's uh, written by Mark Verhayden based on a comic book that he and uh, Mike Richardson created, though I know apparently this wasn't very strict to the source material necessarily. I mean, no, not really. <laughs> the, the, the comic is... I hate to say this, but it's just, it wasn't very good. I, I, I never got into it, man. And I tried because it is a really cool sort of idea. It's just the comic was just, it was junk. Right. I mean, even though this is the good pick, I do like it. It's fair to say this is also junk, but very watchable, well-made junk, I would argue, which I think is kind of the appeal of the best of the best for Jean-Claude. Um, and this one was at least the most successful one. It is still his highest-grossing star vehicle, and the only one to crack over $100 million, making $102 million back in 94, so lots of money. Huge movie, dude. Like, the, I, like obviously, there was this wasn't an event like, you know, a T2 or those type of action movies that we talked about before, but, yeah, everybody I knew saw this movie. Like, everybody. My aunts, my uncles, my cousins, all of us saw this movie, to the point where I had one aunt who, like, chastised my parents because they let me watch this movie with the uh, really awkward sex scene that happens in it. But she, I can't believe you let your son watch that. My dad's like, that's not how anybody does it, so what does it matter? He was like, the time travel's more believable than the sex scene. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's, and that still holds true. <laughs> very true, very true. But Adam, so this was your good pick, and would you say maybe this is the best Jean-Claude film? I, You know, I don't know. There's, there's one that you sort of brought to light recently that uh, thinking back on it might be better, but it's one of the most polished ones he's done for sure. Mm -hmm. it, it's really good. It's not necessarily my favorite one of his, but yeah, this is, I mean, if you're talking just sort of achievement and storytelling and things like that, then yeah, this is definitely top tier Van Damme, I would say. Yeah. I hadn't seen this until we, we watched it as a movie night thing. And I would definitely agree. I think it's, it's neck and neck with, the other Peter Himes co collaboration, which we'll mention a bit later in the show. But but yeah, I think this is like such an efficient 
movie that what I like is that Himes as a director who I think is just underrated in general is like a really efficient, fun, like B movie action director in particular is able to take a premise that's so fucking dumb. Like there are so many holes you can poke in fucking Time Cop. It's just like none of this makes sense. I don't know what's going on. This is so silly. But because of his ability to like really make it move as quickly as it does, you don't give a single fuck. And you're just really enveloped in the silliness in a really charming way with the time travel and also just like the the action photography and all this other stuff the choreography everything is so good that you're really entranced just like oh god i just want to like keep watching this like fun action movie the whole time you don't you never you don't quite question it that much you know i've said elsewhere too if you're watching a time trail movie and your biggest thing is well none of this makes sense then why are you watching a time travel movie? Because of course it doesn't make sense. Uh, but yeah, they, uh, there is a lot more you could sort of really, like you said, sort of, how did we get here with this one than you might with other ones? Uh, but there's, it's just constant move. Like you said, it moves, man. This movie doesn't stop. It goes and goes and goes and goes. And uh, I never really find myself setting dike like sort of diagnosing any of the problems with it because it is just really fun. It's a fun movie to watch. Yeah. The ones that you question are just kind of ones that I didn't even think of until like we had say the second time travel sequence, which I love the way they do time travel with like inside this little rocket thing that just propels itself forward at a certain like speed. And then they eventually travel back in time. But it's a weird thing where like they're in this rocket and then like they cut to like after the big, like, Oh God, we're traveling in time. And they don't show him getting out of the rocket or anything. And then no, they just land in the water. Right. They just <laughs> land in the water. And then when they travel, they just cut to the f- fucking rocket returning back to the docking station. I'm just like, where'd the rocket go? Where does the rocket go when they're not going? Right. They hit this button to return. They walk through like a water bubble. And all of a sudden he's fastened in the rocket. (laughs) Like, it doesn't doesn't make any sense. I agree. That is a little ridiculous. But so is, you know, slapping a mullet on somebody and be like, that's 10 years older. Like, that's also a little ridiculous. Yeah, so the basic premise, if you're not aware of Time Cop, is we follow our titular Time Cop, who is Agent Max Walker, played by Jean-Claude, who in the opening of the movie is, you know, a cop who's um, been married to Mia Sarah. And he's about to be called in to this new task force about time travel that was just discovered. Very early in the movie, we also find out the cold open of sorts is time travel kind of being discovered. And uh, before he can even go to have this meeting, uh, there's a home invasion that happens. And one, while she's still in the house, the house blows up. So she's killed in that explosion. And then we cut to 10 years later in 2004, a great futuristic 2004 <laughs> perfect that all this bullshit doesn't exist exists somehow in 2004 um he is a time cop who goes back in time to basically stop people from committing crimes in the future including as we see uh somebody trying to take advantage of the stock market crashing in 1929 and buy all the stocks that are like at super low prices so they can end up making a lot of money but when he stops this person the guy's like hey man you can't take me back because I'm working for somebody. The senator who's going to try and like use time travel to become president and just like take over the world, basically. Uh, the senator played by the late, oh-so-great Ron Silver in this movie is just like fucking casually eating the scenery, which is what I love. If somebody can eat the scenery but just like really peck at it in a way that's just like nonchalant, just like, oh, here's some scenery here, I'll eat that, I'll eat that. Here's a bit of that too. Uh, he is so phenomenal as a foil for Jean-Claude. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely dude. I mean, and he's got so many good little one-liners 
and he's just such a mustache twirling villain like right from the get as soon as you see him really i mean he he's just yeah he's really really fun in this movie man he is a perfect sort of foil for the honestly rather subdued van damme especially the future version he's not the much of the van damme with the crazy noises and faces and all that as much as you're used to he's he's talks quietly he he doesn't do a lot of the crazy noises or the screams and stuff in this one it's not as over the top as a van damme as you might be used to that's right i think this sort of hit an interesting point because this was around the same time that like he was really getting into like his coke phase but this feels like unlike some of his other movies did around this time, especially like right after this, it feels like he's subdued, but like melancholy in a way that really works. Like when he even of course has to go back to his apartment after he he's done being a time cop for the day and he just keeps watching the home videos of Mia Sarah and stuff like that. Despite how very cliche that is as a concept, you actually do believe kind of that regret in his face. It feels like it's very genuine in the same way that you believe, say Ron Silver talking to his younger self in 1994 it's just like hey you know what do me a favor lay off the candy bars <laughs> his younger self just looks sad like oh i like candy bars. Y'all, that's one of my favorite parts of, yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of the movie man if me bashing your face turns you into a sniveling wimp then maybe you shouldn't be in my employee anymore <laughs> okay yeah when he smacks his own fucking toady in the face so advisor. there are some really fun action bits in this movie too particularly the whole warehouse sort of shootout scene is really fun and exciting you know with the guy gets his arm frozen and all that stuff really really cool the the ending scene it's also really fun the way they do it with the way they break it up between the two you know because obviously you know spoiler alert the two van dams team up in a way unbeknownst to them well at least to the younger one but how you know he's out in the woods and it's real quiet and there's the guy with the flashlight chasing him and the other one's on the roof the whole time with Mia Sarah and all. It is really competently done. This movie. It is. There is a lot of silly bits to it, like you said, especially with like the rocket car, and the one of course pervert guy, who's like the the programmer or whatever. Like it's stupid and cheesy, unnecessary. And, and then the way the thugs all dress and look is just hilarious to me. Where in you know 2004. You could tell if it was a bad guy if he had a belt around his fucking leather jacket with shoulder pads and a mullet and steel plates on his shoes for some reason. But it's still a a really sort of – there's a lot of tense moments. There's a lot of exciting moments. And it is pretty competently acted kind of all around. Like Van Damme is not terrible in this movie. Mia Sarah is probably the most wasted character in the movie, but even she's decent in it. Oh, it's but it's such a well-cast movie with especially you got people like Bruce McGill as the oh, commander, who's actor. always great. One of, one of the great character yep. actors. And especially like just how he plays off of Jean-Claude, which is just like, oh, hey, I think this was the thing where I, I say like, oh, I'm losing my mind. You're like, what? No, not you. <laughs> like, shit, like that back and forth or even later on, she's like, you're walking. It's like, yeah, I've been doing that since I was two, I believe. Is that surprising yeah. to you? <laughs> I've had your, I have your wife's casserole a hundred times. Always too much salt. You say you're my friend? Why the hell are you making me do this? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it's just... It's a good little sci-fi action movie, man, that that I think unfairly got lost 
due to starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. I mean, because a lot of people didn't realize this was from a comic book. So it's not the comic book sort of connection because, you know, comic book movies in the early 90s were all failures. Um, I think it's basically because it stars Van Damme that people don't give it a chance. Right, and this was sort of like his last hurrah of sorts, right before it started really going down for him, pretty much. What would you say was the like official, like, this is the point of no return for his stardom? I mean, honestly... You know, a lot of people would probably point to the one he did with Van, uh, Dennis Rodman. And, I mean, obviously, of course, but I think it came just a little bit before that, man. I I, I remember when Maximum Risk came out with Natasha Henstridge, and that was just nobody gave a fuck. Nobody saw it. Nobody cared. And I remember that kind of being like the, oh, Van Damme's done. And, uh, yeah, then he went off to do that stinker with Rodman. And then he did another one that's just so fucking bad. You know, The Quest, like you mentioned before. Well, this was the last sort of big movie, I'd say, where that made a ton of money right. that he was in. Yeah, I, I, definitely. I think after this, people were just kind of, like, done with him. Yeah, and it's a bummer that I guess it kind of got looped in with that because there's plenty of fun sequences. Like, you mentioned the one that's in the warehouse, which is fun. Also, the ho- the one where they invade his apartment, I think, is also very good. With the oh, engine. great. Yeah, yeah, where he it actually has a practical use for the splits with him, like, trying to avoid being electrocuted. <laughs> that's pretty fun. The movie has a really cool opening, too. Yes, with the whole Civil with War the, thing. The Civil War gold. That's a really cool opening, but I will say a kind of disappointment because of that. It's just like, oh, you tease us with, oh, there's going to be more time travel to, like, other places and it's like, no, they kind of just travel back and forth from 1994 to 2004, which is still fun. But at the same time, if you open with the Civil War thing, that sets up an expectation. Like, is Jean-Claude going to be, like, in a gladiator tournament? Is he going to fight dinosaurs? <laughs> Holy shit, could you imagine? <laughs> Believe me, I, w- I would love that. If just <laughs> Or he just fucking, like, roundhouse kicks a fucking caveman or some shit. I would be down for that. But at the same time, this is still, like I mentioned, fun. I think also a big credit... With that opening to establish the time travel rules with Scott Lawrence, another great character actor, who comes in when they're introducing, like, time travel, that's a dumb idea. Yeah, you know what? It might sound dumb, but actually, it's a really good way to get money. And it's like, well, I mean, can we really mess with that? What's going on? It's like, well, if someone else discovers time travel in some other country, takes uh, goes back to, like, 1945 and gets the idea for the atom bomb from us. What do you think is going to happen right. then? And I think that's, oh, this is like, once again, it's firmly, like, very succinctly and firmly establishing, these are the rules, this is what what might happen, thus we need time cops. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward right off the bat. Like, well, you know, hey, guess what? Somebody tried an Iranian arms deal and tried to pay with Civil War gold. So we know it's happening. Mm -hmm. We know it for a fact. It's real. We have to police it right away. Uh, We have to be, you know, it's it's sort of funny, you know, because it's, you know, America, but we have to be the authority on this. And uh, if this were to actually happen, if somebody figured out how to do this, that is 100% how it would be. We would be the, you know, we're going to be the authority on it. We are the only people who can have the technology and blah, 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 But But I like also at the same time, they're able to make fun of that idea, particularly with the bit where Bruce McGill's going around establishing, like, uh, we have spared every single expense. No comfort, no nothing, and it's just, like, it's so sterile. It's a really clever way of getting around the fact that it's only a $27 million budget movie (laughs) for such a big concept. It's just like, oh, it's a government facility that wouldn't actually, would only have the bare necessities for it. (laughs) Right. And I do like the whole... Like you said, you brought up the stockbroker scene. Another really cool idea. Really cool the way it's done. Great action bit there, too, where he just kicks the living shit out of those two thug guys. Um, you know, and, oh, God, our favorite. Now, let's be honest. We both laughed. Oh, tomorrow might be a brighter day. 
<laughs> the cops. So, yes. Yeah. Just like, oh, yeah. faith, I make over. <laughs> just he's going that far with it. It's, yeah. Very. <laughs> yeah, no, he's like, Jesus, Mary, a Joseph. Like, get the fuck out of here, dude. Well, even that's a really, like, that's a great dark joke to start off with, but people are jumping off. It's just like, oh my god, this is terrible. It's just like, yeah, shit happens. And then the time traveler guy just goes through. And then comes back. Oh, tomorrow might have been a brighter day. Uh, it's just, it's great. It's so fucking funny. But I even like also how like even before the big action set piece takes place in the middle of that counting room, how that guy is even like, look, dude, like I can't go back because they'll know I'm going to go back. And then he'll like erase my parents from ever yeah. existing and shit like that. It's just like it's a really, once again, clever way of setting up the stakes, which is like a back and forth dialogue that feels natural. Yeah. You know, just leave me here, dude. I won't do anything else. Just leave me fucking here. They'll come and maybe kill me here or, you know, I have to die here. It's a sort of idea. And it's. It's really fucked up. Credit, by the way, to uh, Jason Scombing is that actor. He's very good. Yeah, and he's pretty good at yes. it, too. But yeah, they, I agree. That's It's a really cool idea. Sets, like you said, the stakes up pretty quickly. Like, the rules, the stakes, everything. Like, this is fucking serious, and there's only one man who can stop it. Max Walker. It has to be two Van Dams. One's not enough. Right. And I do like how even Van Dam, just like in his body language, really establishes the difference between those characters. Like, you didn't technically need the mullet. You can see that, like, the future one is a lot more forlorn and has a, a lot more sort of like this devil may care kind of attitude. Like, even I love the bit when he's talking to Gloria Rubin. And it's just like, how, how do you, you know, when you're traveling in time, focus on it's just like not swallowing my tongue. <laughs> and she's like, just like, he doesn't give a shit, which I will say. I like the Gloria Rubin character, at least initially, where it's just like, oh, she ends up making that twist, but she has a desperate reason. Maybe not a fan of the fact that she just kind of gets pushed off to the side as a character after that, where she just, like, gets murdered in the hospital and shit yeah. like that. I wish we had a bit more with her, because she's a really fun presence. I agree. I mean, she tries to go toe-to-toe with Van Damme and shit, and the, the, that was fun, like, you know, but, like, you said, and then they just try to give her a redemption, like, right away. And you're like, no, well, no, well, no it's, she, it's not even that like, they try and give a redemption. It's like, I'm willing to go on that arc if you actually go to it, as opposed to like, you know what? I'm going to redeem myself. <laughs> Dead. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. And I love that the nurse instantly thinks it's Van Damme that did it. Nobody saw those fucking two big freaks walk into her room and walk out. Someone knows about clearly. <laughs> Yeah, right. Blended, man, those guys. And the giant boots and all that other shit. Um, And even, like, I I would say, like, with Amiya Sarah, I agree that it's kind of, like, on paper a thinner role. But at the same time, I really like the scenes with particularly her and older Van Damme talking about, like, the back and forth. Just like, oh, you're from the future? How am I? And he just says, like, just like this. He's like, that's the perfect line for that as well. And I love that she just balls out like, "What am I dead?" Like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> she's like, "No, oh, fuck, wait, am I fucking dead?" <laughs> like, it's uh, yeah, I agree. I, I and they do have really good chemistry, and she's she's always a fun presence. You know, I've always liked Mia Sarah, even though she doesn't. I don't think she does much anymore. But um, yeah, I've always always like since Ferris Bueller kind of had. A soft spot for me, Sarah. Yeah, I think she had she had to go back to uh, Hugo Weaving and Liv Tyler amongst the elves. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a good point. She, I, I believe she is accurate. elvish. Like she kind of has that kind of immortal beauty as well, where she looks. Oh, you look the same. <laughs> Pretty much at this point. Um, but also, I, I agree with like um, I think 
we've talked about Peter Heim so much. I love the way that he shoots some of these action sequences. I think particularly the staging of the final action sequence is so stunning where it's so much of like, oh, hey, here's like young Jean-Claude having his back and forth with like people on, especially the roof. All the stuff on the roof is so fucking good in that final action sequence. But at the same time, older Van Damme is able to like take advantage of like, oh, I lived this once before and I can like move around it and shit like that, all without them ever really seeing each other. I like how it's staged like that. You can't tell me that there wasn't like a possibly, well, I'm sure there was a studio note like, well, we should make them team up and kung fu guys together. Like, you know, it's Van Damme. Why aren't we doing this? And it, it could have been so easy to go that route, and I'm so glad they didn't. Right. This is, like, oh. I think it's also because, like, this is post the one where he does actually fight a version right. of himself, right? And he's also done it several times afterward. I think Jean-Claude, even more so than Schwarzenegger or Stallone or any of the other action stars, is the one who's fought himself the most. I think at least three times, if I, if I remember incorrectly. Like, Double Impact, they were twins. Right. I was, it was this one where they're using it as two different characters, and then there's a direct-to-DVD one called Replicant, where it's like an evil clone of him. And there's one project we'll mention that has three Jean-Claude Van Damme's. <laughs> That's really yeah. great. We'll mention it later. But no, yeah, still with, with Time Cop, I can see why it kind of was sort of his poster child movie, because it feels at least the most like him kind of being a traditional action star. It still has some of his fun quirks, like particularly the opening scene of him at the mall with Mia Sarah. And, like, hunting down that one dude who, like, steals the, the woman's purse and just, like, putting his foot up. just like, what does it say? Wolverine, read between the lines. I should get the fuck out. <laughs> you know that purse? Nah, it's a little good on you. Like, what did he just say? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> He's a cop in DC? Who is this fucking guy? <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's super fun. Super, super fun. Um, and he does, when he is the young Van Damme, even in just that scene, like you said, there's a clear distinction between the two. Like he's real sort of peppy and happy-go-lucky and, you know, he's in love, like deep romantic love. He even has more proper and, posture, even like his body language is very different. It's all nice and clean cut. He's clean shaven. Like, he, yeah, you're right. He's dressed nice. Like you said, he's got real good posture stand straight up and everything and then when you get to the older one you're like, you we're gonna have to shake him to see if he's awake <laughs> you know what i mean like absolutely absolutely he becomes so sort of jaded and just a, basically not without being you know the classic where now he's a drinker and blah 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 he looks like he's a drinker now Right, he looks a lot more forlorn, um, and I think it really helps to like really sell the the ending bit as well, where he ends up uh, <laughs> doing that to Ron Silver, which we got yes. we can't not mention. Ron Silver's demise in this is phenomenally mid nineties in terms of the CG oh. used to make. Oh no, matter can't interact with matter. Oh no, <laughs> yeah, say matter can't occupy the same space at the same time. Yeah, he, uh, you know, spoilers for anybody that see this, but he kicks the younger one into the, to the older one, to the evil one, and um, I mean, they just turn into this giant veiny, like pasta sauce gelatinous goo, and I mean, there's just all these screams and, <laughs> and they, they hit the ground and just disappear. It's so fucking funny. It is so bad when the flashlight hand goes through him. 
it is the most ridiculous thing I think I might have ever seen in my life. But I also even love the um the lead up to it as well with like Ron Silver thinking he's won and stuff like that. Just like and then young Ron Silver comes in like you left me that message. I didn't leave you any message. One, I love that he apparently got fooled into thinking Jean Claude Van Damme's accent <laughs> for being the younger version of him, I guess. And two, also just the way that Ron's older Ron Silver reacts, just like oh great. Thanks a lot. You turned a perfectly simple murder into a clusterfuck. Yeah, right, basically. <laughs> now we are completely fucked. Thank you. <laughs> and, of course, Jean-Claude's reaction, like res- like the diss track reply to the Broadway thing, just like, I'm still kicking it. I must be on Broadway. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so good. It's so dumb. <laughs> and I love the, the sort of end bit where the sort of disheveled walker, you know, home in this car that what kind of fucking car okay. are these things? it looks totally <laughs> like the car you would buy for the time cop action figure set absolutely it looks like a gi joe vehicle you know it goes back and the house is still there like they you know they must have rebuilt the entire house and his son comes out and he's like oh you're home this now happy ending sure but now this poor bastard has to make up for 10 years of not knowing any of this and try to just i'm a dad now <laughs> like, like what the fuck dude that i mean that's terrifying well also having to live with all of the pain that he's had previously and having just readjusted like, like oh that's not your reality anymore <laughs> yeah right exactly Jeez, I didn't even think of it that way. Good lord. Yeah, what the, a nightmare. The, yeah, the existential dread of Time Cop. Um, but still, it's a pretty fun movie overall. I really liked it. We'll spin this off into final thoughts here. Um, I would say it is probably... It's neck and neck with another Peter Himes movie for, like, top-tier Jean-Claude for me. I think it's because, like... I think it has the, the right, perfect balance of 90s-era blockbuster with like the sillier logic, but at the same time, a real dedication to being as like quick and fast as possible. And like we mentioned, extremely well cast. And even Jean-Claude is, shows a bit more range than some of his action movies did. Some of the stuff you'd see later when he gets a bit more introspective in his career, I think is uh, initially coming off here. Um, and yeah, so I get why it's one of his best. And I would agree. I think it is one of his better films. And Adam, I guess you would concur with all that. Basically word for word with everything you said i just think it's fun like i said i don't i think you got an unfair shake because it is a van damme movie but uh if you haven't seen it and you're into you know quirky sci-fi action uh that you got to suspend disbelief but still have fun time then i you know this could probably be the movie for you we're going into another movie that also might be for you as it should be for anyone uh but first here's a promo for an eso show you can queue up right after ours Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. I would say that E3 maybe isn't the event that it once was, but everybody still plans their event around the E3 schedule. Steven Spielberg could throw out a gum commercial and we'd all watch it because it's Steven Spielberg. Dragon Age 4 is carrying, I think, the future of Bioware on its shoulders. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Catch our shows on Worldwide Radio seven days a week and right here on the ESO Network. And now let's get into our second feature here, Lionheart. (laughs) They think they can get away with murder. This is gasoline. But they didn't count on one thing. Does he have any other relatives? He's trained to fight for his life. 
Now, he's fighting for revenge. It's a game. Hey, I got three to one against Lionheart. He's playing for keeps. <laughs> the rules are simple. There's no rules. <laughs> it's going to be simple. Van Damme is Lionheart. So Lionheart came out January 11th, 1991, from co-writer slash director Sheldon Lettich, though we should mention that Jean-Claude Van Damme is also a co-screenwriter along with S.N. Warren. And this is from 1991, so this is a bit early. This is post, at least, uh, Bloodsport and Kickboxer, which were sort of the big ones that got Jean-Claude on the scene. So this is uh, sort of like one of them in the uh, wake of that. And actually, Leech was uh, one of the co-writers of Bloodsport. And there's, there's a lot to this movie. I want to at least preface it by saying this much, that there's a quote I found from Sheldon Lettich that I think explains so much about this movie, where he says, quote, Lionheart was a defining film for Van Damme because I did not shy away from giving him considerable amounts of dialogue and character development throughout the film. I trust him to pull this off, whereas before nobody else believed he could do much more than just deliver fancy kicks and simple one-liners, Lionheart was the first movie to demonstrate that Van Damme was more than just a flash-in-the-pan karate guy who would never rise above simplistic, low-budget karate films. And Adam, does that not sum up the beauty of Lionheart? thousand percent, man. I mean, ten percent, you know. <laughs> the thing is, it's so funny. Van Damme's, like, first three big movies, you named them already, Kickboxer, Bloodsport, and Lionheart, uh, they're all basically the same idea, you know, where it's Van Damme, fish out of water, gets into a fighting tournament uh, in some way, um, and then has, you know, a helpful down-on-his-luck partner slash manager with him, which, in in this case, what the fuck? This movie's fucking weird, dude. What? No. What? What? <laughs> weird movie, man. The thing with Van Damme is, what really does set him apart from maybe some of the other action stars we we had talked about earlier, especially like a Schwarzenegger or things like that, is Van Damme really wanted to be in control of his own image. And as far as like writing and doing that action choreography himself and directing and all that stuff. And, you know, when I was a kid, Van Damme was just another one of those guys. He was just another one of those 80s action stars, man. Um, he was, you know, the stereotypical white action star. And as a kid, I didn't, you know, really place that, oh, he's also a foreigner. So, you know, because you don't think about that when you're five, six, seven years old, really. And, he ta- and you're just like, he talks funny. He's Right. He's got a silly voice. Wow, crazy. I don't, is he from France or New Orleans or Quebec or wherever the fuck they say he's from in all these movies? Um, sometimes just straight up New York, which you're like, no, no. But um, it's... It's uh, it, it, the thing is, I never really understood it, but I always knew there was something different just about the tone, even of Van Damme movies. And then as I get older, I start to realize it. It's the foreign sensibility trying to write an American action film. And that's where, you know, a lot of the weird dialogue choices, a lot of the weird stereotypical sort of racist tinged moments the sexual attitude in the movies the sort of 
way he acts, interacts with children in all the movies. It's so bizarre and so weird for an American audience. And as a kid, I was never able to really identify that. Like I said, I just knew they were just different. There was something different about it. Now, as I get older, I notice it, and it almost makes me appreciate the movies more that they were even competent enough to have a fan base and get make him famous and stuff like that. Because all of those movies, especially the three we just named, are fucking bizarre, man. They are weird, weird movies, and yet they made him a huge, huge star. And it's just, it's crazy to me. I mean, that is such a success story. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that. I really, really don't. I assume that Sheldon Ledich was like some kind of like Belgian director or something he brought over for this. Uh, but what's fascinating is he is like born and bred in the USA. He was like in the Marines and stuff like that. So it's almost like having like the story fed through Jean-Claude and him. It's like a this movie feels like a weird game of telephone. Where like one person tries to translate what yeah, the culture is, and the other person is trying to translate what his version of it is, and then it gets looped around. And just so much feels like it gets lost in translation, but it it works in the same way. I think a lot of the movies we love talking about, from especially like so bad they're good foreign filmmakers who come over to the states and want to make the big Hollywood American movie, like Lionheart epitomizes that. I think even more than the other two movies, like Bloodsport or Kickboxer, which have some of those charms. But I think the thing that makes Lionheart just even more weirder is it feels scrappier, I think because it feels like it's the smaller budget movie. And it's tremendous to see, like, so much gumption go through this weird premise where basically, uh, for this particular movie, despite being, I agree, very similar to the other two movies beforehand, the, the particular premise for this one is Jean-Claude Van Damme is in the French Foreign Legion, and he's being abused by his higher-ups uh, when he finds out that his brother has been horribly maimed um, over in L.A. And so he ends up escaping from the French Foreign Legion and hopping on a boat and uh, getting to L.A. where um, he ends up... Or sorry, no, he gets to New York initially, right? And then they go to L.A., right? Correct. Right, Correct. right. Because that's where he meets uh, Joshua, his trainer, at Harrison Page in like you mentioned, a very stereotypical sort of jive-talking black person role that's not uncommon, because also in Kickboxer. <laughs> it's so weird. We'll talk about him more in a second. But then they go to L.A., where he um, ends up finding out that his uh, brother has just passed, and he tries to take care of his niece and his brother's wife um, while he's over there. And he gets caught up in a fighting ring that's run by this woman, Deborah Renard as Cynthia, um, runs this, like, fight club, basically, ring that she enlists him into. And just, there's so many weird fucking details about this movie that just, they're, like, make you constantly question reality at any point. Well, the whole point of her character is that she wants to fucking just bang him so bad. Yes. She is so hungry for Van Damme. And he just obviously wants nothing to do with it, which is hilarious every time he rejects her, how mad she gets. It's like, well, what did you think was going to happen? You've been trying all the time. You literally just walked into him on the dressing room and grabbed his junk. And you expect him to be like, all right, fine, this time we'll go for it. But she's, and especially there's a sequence where like he's like so exhausted and she like puts him in a room. um, And then it like cuts to him waking up in the morning. She's like, my clothes aren't on what's happening and she comes and just like oh i slipped you out of those and i was just uh watching over you this whole time just like oh so you like maybe sexually assaulted him in his sleep what, what's going on yeah and burned his clothes and burned his clothes that's right <laughs> yeah he burned i mean to be sure so we could see the jean-claude ass shot which happens many times in these movies <laughs> oh 
it's like it's a given. It has to. And then I love Brian Thompson as sort of her stooge. Like he's just he's fantastic in it. But I gotta talk about Joshua like now. Of course, yes. Like now. Yes. If, if yes. I don't, it's gonna kill Let's me. Let's do it now. So okay. <laughs> First of all, uh Joshua is like seventies jive, like you would expect in like Shaft or something like that, how they talk. Uh like a thousand percent. He's from that era. You know, I'm not I'm not gonna do the voice like no Yep, you you shouldn't. I'm insisting that I you won't. don't. <laughs> I won't. But he, just the way he calls people like Jive Turkey and stuff. And like it's like, what the fuck is this? Then one of my favorite things ever is when they go to use a payphone and a gang that is in this shitty rundown van in this shitty, literally bum town, as Joshua sort of refers it to, comes out and starts to harass them because, you know, you got you to gotta pay to use their phone. And what, is this phone not good enough? And the way these guys are dressed is the most inexplicable gang attire I might have ever seen in a movie. Even, and I'm talking, I've seen the Warriors a hundred times. These guys, like t- trench coats with no shirts on, but the sleeves are rolled up and they're also wearing fingerless gloves. And like I said, they're all hanging out in a van. They look like, like they would be of- like the gang that would encounter MC Hammer if he ever did like a bad ripoff. Yeah, that's very fair. <laughs> that is a, that, that's, that's really, really accurate. <laughs> okay, so jo- Joshua, one thing Joshua likes to do in this movie is eat. Yes, he does. Uh, there's a scene where he's eating a burrito. There's a scene where he's eating a sandwich. Uh, but Joshua, as well as all the other side characters in this movie, really love Kentucky Fried Chicken. Right, which the thing is, the biggest thing I love is that after, there's this whole sequence where like he goes up to see Jean-Claude, sees his young niece yeah. and then the wife, and there's like a big dramatic scene of them. So I'm like, look, you can't come closer to me. You introduced him to drugs. That's why he's dead. Like, you're, I don't want you to ever see my daughter again. And then it cuts to Joshua outside waiting for him, and he has just like a bucket of KFC in his fucking just hands. A, just a bucket of chicken, dude. And he's just sitting there eating the chicken. Like, where did he go to get that that fast? And then the, the guys from the French Foreign Legion who are fine looking for him, it shows him several times. They're staked out across from Van Damme's sister-in-law's apartment. And clearly they haven't left in days because they're still wearing the same clothes. They're sleeping in shifts. Yet they have a bunch of Kentucky Fried Chicken containers all around them. <laughs> Just unkempt so hotel room. <laughs> There's so much chicken in this room. Did they pay? They had to have paid either Kentucky Fried Chicken to use it or they had to have paid them to use it they had to have because it's blatant or or at least gotten some sign off just like sure whatever you can do that and in which case if the kfc saw this movie there's like yeah sure this is fine no problem <laughs> just like <Yeah. laughs> so, so many questions FC marketing? <laughs> yeah, <what> the fuck? <laughs> and then also to, to talk about how weird this movie is so he eventually does hook decide to hook up with cynthia not like sexually, but hook up with her and let her sort of run his career so he can make money to set up this fake insurance fund that he's giving his sister-in-law money. I don't know. It makes no sense. Right after a sequence uh, where he goes around moping with the amazingly over-the-top score in this movie that we need to talk about. Where sometimes it's what you would usually yeah. expect from a Jean-Claude movie where it's like heavy saxophone or like some 80s like over-the-top songs. But then, especially early on in the movie... It plays like we're watching like a beautiful sweeping epic. Like, is this Once Upon a Time in America? <laughs> Which is like him walking the streets of New York or shit like that. <laughs> and it's the same song over and over. And over. 
But okay, so he gets involved in these these underground fights, which by underground is very loosely. These are very very out in the open. They they do this fight in this like parking garage or a warehouse or whatever. All the cars park in a circle and shine their headlights, and the opponent gets there and it's a Scotsman, yes, right? Yes. And you know how you know it's a Scotsman because he's wearing a kilt and the beret. And, and you hear bagpipes he on the soundtrack. Oh, there's bagpipes for sure. For sure. Just like when he's in, uh, I th- I'm guessing it's L.A., but it looks like it's Florida, and he fights the guy in the pool. And it's a Capoeira guy, and you know, because there's like island music playing. Yep, steel drums and, and everything, I mean, baby. Steel drums and everything, man. <laughs> it is just such a bizarre movie, dude. Like, why does this movie work? Some would say it doesn't, and they're probably right. But it's so, like, I, I can't not watch Lionheart anytime it's on. I don't know what it is. I think it has a bit more sincerity, because we also recently watched, like, a kickboxer. I think what separates this from a kickboxer, which is still fun, is that, like, Lionheart just completely spits at the idea that it is at all, um, like, a dumb, low-budget action movie. It's just like, no, this is high art. We are talking about a horrible tragedy of this man who has lost his brother and is only fighting in order to provide for his limited family that he has left. It has such a sincerity to it that makes it so fucking hilarious with how sincere it is. Even scenes where, like, he's talking to his niece, who is played by Ashley Johnson, who some of you might know from, like, she's the waitress in the the first Avengers movie, and she also uh, plays Ellie in The Last of Us, and she's... An adorable little girl. She's just like, hi, I'm five. My name's Nicole. <laughs> and all this other shit. So you're just fully invested in the drama the entire time as the drama gets so fucking silly with particularly the big um, sort of climactic battle that he has with the massive huge dude, which I just love the fact also that the way that he that character's introduced, the evil villain, is that he comes out literally with a white cat. That's his... Huh? Like one emotional connection is this white cat who, he, right before he even the fight starts, he goes over to the ring and just pets the white cat. <laughs> uh-huh. Don't forget about his fucking sideburns, too. Good lord. I just thought those were his cheeks yeah. at a certain point because it's like, these can't be sideburns. These are just actual <laughs> flesh. <laughs> yeah, they really want you to care. Like in this movie, they really want you to, like, be down with Leon's like emotional plight i mean they are trying to beat you over the head with it especially like him and joshua's relationship where you know rock bet <laughs> it's so dumb oh no, especially like the, the lead up to like right before the fight where he's just like i um i, I placed a bet on myself i will uh, i've cleared out my bank account and joshua's like damn it lionheart you've, you've got a lot of heart you got the strength of a lion. <laughs> Literal uh, <yeah>. dialogue <laughs> from that scene. 100%. Let's not forget, a real. Quick, I'm not going to do the voice either, but my favorite doctor maybe ever in a movie. Oh, um, God. Is... <laughs> <laughs> the best doctor ever. <laughs> you should take karate lessons. What the fuck? Dude who feels like, oh, are you a Cheech Marin stand-in? Mech- yeah, hey, hey, man, you can't, you gotta, like, stay in bed for a week. You have a crushed rib cage. Just like, here's a here's a hundred dollars to make sure you have to tell anybody. Oh, man, I'll definitely take this. It's just... Dollars? Sure, man. I ain't gonna tell nobody. hundred dollars? No problem, dude. It's just like, is this like this, the hospital run by Dr. Nick Riffiera from The Simpsons? Because this is the only way where this <laughs> really would work as a doctor. 
a thousand and he dude he's like he's wearing a lab coat with like a jimmy hendrix shirt on underneath it like what the fuck is this he's such a hip doctor but then again that's just some of the other things these fucking characters in this movie that that's part of the reason i love it too because these people even in van damme's other movies these people don't exist. They can't exist, except in the world of Lionheart. In the world translated from an American director and a Belgian star slash co-writer trying to co-write a script together. That <laughs> feels like, yeah. oh, this is authentic American. I was in the Marines, so I know about the you know, military. Okay, I want to be in the French Foreign Legion stationed in Africa. Uh... Sure. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. <laughs> sure. All right. And that's what we're going with. Great. You know, I, I want to have a weird sexual relationship with every female character in this movie. Uh, all right. <laughs> it's just so fucking dumb. And there's even just weird yeah. details. Like, there's a point where Jean-Claude, like, in the big montage before he decides to fight, is following around, like, his niece and his sister-in-law, like, taking her to school. And he's, like, looking over from the other side of the street just like... Oh no, this is what I'm missing out on my family. And in between the two of them is like the police arresting like a bunch of people. Just a bunch of people, like eight in the morning. For no like why is that there? That's so distracting. Hands behind their heads with the guns out and everything. Like, what the fuck is happening here? And I also love that Van Damme's idea of a fucking disguise is a hood that's on only half of his head. Yes. Like good disguise. And to also contrast just like between like a Peter Himes who directed the last movie so efficiently. This movie, with the way that all the fight sequences are constructed, is so fascinating where, we kind of mentioned this earlier, the idea that there are so many times where Jean-Claude hits a person or kicks a person, and we have to edit to 500 different angles of that one kick and or punch. Um, <laughs> stop. I mean, to the point, I swear to God, I almost get nauseous at some of it. Because it's just boom, 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 from different angle, different angle, different angle, different angle, different angle, different angle, same angle, different angle, different angle, same angle. And it's just, what the fuck am I, what is happening here? It, it is absolutely uh, obnoxious in its execution. <laughs> but I think that's part of the charm because it's just like they want to show off how good Jean-Claude is. So it's like, of course we have to have six different cameras on this. Of course we do. We have to capture the moment from every single possible angle that could be conceived of. <laughs> it's just, it's so fucking hysterical every time that shit happens because it's coming from this place of sincerity. Of like, we want to show people a good time. And you know what, Adam? They succeeded because I think we both had such a good time. <laughs> it was so fun. You know, the thing is, you tasked me with coming up with the Van Damme movies to watch, and I knew this was one that I'm like, oh, we got to watch Lionheart. Th Thomas is not going to know what the hell this is. Oh, no, and I was, like, uh, so baffled the whole time. Like, what? <laughs> That's me most of this, like, 100-minute running time. All the way from, like, the early moments uh, when his brother is burned alive. It's like, this is what we call gasoline, to the ending, which I love how, like, after all this the great Academy Award attempted winning thing of Jean-Claude being like, I'm, I'm sorry, but you and your mommy have to go without me. And Astrid's like, no, you can't leave. And the French Foreign Legion guy's just like, oh man, we feel so bad. I can't believe we're taking this man away. I know, they drive, they drive half a block down the road. Right. Get out. You were get out. <laughs> I, I joked Adam when we watched, it's just like the only thing missing from this is them to say, do you love them? then go to them <laughs> and he runs the other way back to his little family he's created i know it is the best <laughs> uh you know and also shout out to that lawrence bender cameo 
yes okay there's an the, like the <laughs> second fight that happens is like in the middle of this like parking garage where that's where um uh, cindy ends up getting the eye of lionheart uh first intro- is introduced to him and like there's a just a very quick thing where like he immediately like the the big guy comes after he murders like some dude just like <laughs> i can't wait to beat up this french guy and then jean claude like does the splits down just punches that dude in the crotch and immediately falls over and the big tough guy who's just like hey what the fuck man i bet a lot of money on that guy and jean claude gets in his I face this fucking guy's ass. right yeah. the, the guy who he gets in the face of is multiple academy award nominated producer lauren spender who produced like the first several Quentin Tarantino movies up to Inglorious Bastards. I know. What the fuck? Why is Lawrence Bender in this movie? I think he was like he, he was a failed actor prior to becoming a producer. I think like the next year he produces Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, legitimately. <laughs> Which is crazy. Ben, we could go on forever about Lionheart, but I think we have to start wrapping. But is there anything you want to add before we? Start doing final thoughts, though. Anything we missed? Uh, the only thing I can think of is, you know, once Van Damme starts to kick Attila's, because that's the main bad guy's name, by the way, Attila. Once he starts to kick Attila's ass, uh, I love that he realizes Attila's a weakness is spin kicking a pointing finger away from him. It is the best shot ever. You and Van Damme kicks it, and you would have think he, this guy just took a shotgun blast to the chest. Oh, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Well, wait, also, a shout-out to, like, that, like, during that final climactic battle, there's a whole point where, for no reason, the entire crowd starts doing a clo- slow clap. Yeah, initiated by one of the French Foreign Legion guys. Yes. So wrap your head around that one. Um, no, uh, I think we pretty much said it all. I think this movie is batshit crazy, but also just buckets of fun, dude. KFC buckets of chicken of fun? KFC buckets of fun. <laughs> Um, I'm uh, unless I'm guessing those are your final thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I got, yeah. What the what the fuck else can you say about this movie? Well, I'll briefly just say, um, yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think Lionheart is so much fun. It's one of those ones with the bad movies where we've talked so much about like oh, so bad they're good, like fun movies that I, we would recommend despite them being bad, or obviously the other various versions of bad. This is one of the ones that I would technically have to classify as a bad movie, but I have so much fun. I'm just like, but is it though? Is it? I know. I know. It's, it's one of those just like, I don't think like the movie's aiming for much higher than what I enjoy it for, which is to say a cheap but very sincere, heartfelt, dumbass movie. It is truly lying heartfelt in every single capacity. After we watched it, we had a little mini competition of who was going to use it in their choices. We did. Whether it was going to be one of our good choices or one of your bad choices. And we were both kind of okay where it might land. <laughs> That's true, yes. But at the same time, it's just it's worth discussing for so many things we said. Also, another shout-out to a moment in the lead-up to the payphone thing you were talking about. There's a moment where, like, they, they're dropped off from the limo, and him and Joshua are walking down the street. Jean-Claude's just like, I mean, we have so much money. Like, why don't we just, you know, do something? It's like, hey, man, you can't talk about us having $10,000 out loud saying it much louder than Jean-Claude. Claude even said, <laughs> "It's like you're the one that mentioned the specific amount of money that we had." <laughs> Shut the fuck up, man! <laughs> Listen to your own advice. Oh, good lord! But but no, yeah. There's so much else we can talk about. The only thing else we can say though is definitely watch Lionheart. Watch it. It's so fucking watch fun. it. <laughs> uh, but before we get into um, our next segment, Adam, it's time we uh, played a little message from the. ESO crew that we fully endorse. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. 
Hello everyone, Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Well, and now it is time for us to do our double redo, where every week, along with the two features we discuss, Am and I talk about uh, two good and two bad movies related to the topic each as a sort of recommendations and to uh, we recommend you avoid um, in terms of, uh, in this case, the topic of Jean-Claude Van Damme. And I'll be going first uh, with my choices here. And I'm actually going to do something we haven't, uh, we usually do the two good and the two bad ones. I want to start with the two bad ones because I have an extended thing about one of my good choices. So I'll save that one for last. Um, the two bad ones I'll briefly shout out, as it were, um, that I have seen as the novice in particular are two of his sort of bigger American productions. The more recent one is Expendables 2 which I think is quite bad as like the, even with the first Expendables, it's not, it's kind of like a major disappointment. I remember being so excited for that one. And it's just like, oh, this I think doesn't want to like really, <laughs> it treats itself too seriously despite also being ridiculous. It's weird how that movie feels. And then Expendables 2, I think, goes in the weird other direction of being way too jokey in a way that feels like this is yes. just like a, a masturbatory affair with like, there's, it's mostly not with Jean-Claude. I will say, I don't think Jean-Claude's the problem with this movie. He does seem kind of bored, but at the same time, the one kind of interesting fight scene is between him and Stallone. I think it's like one of the few bright moments of the movie, but it's hard to kind of give a shit after. I think that is what um, follows the really dumb cavalcade of like everybody trading off catchphrases like Arnold Schwarzenegger says like yippee Kaye and all this other bullshit. That's really upsetting. And also probably my least favorite moment in any of these fucking movies where they get Chuck Norris to come in. And do Chuck Norris jokes in the middle of this fucking Expendables movie. It's so fucking just cringy and shitty on every level. Um, and then the older bad movie, one where I would argue a lot of sort of his uh, issues of behind the scenes really came about, is the 1994 Street Fighter. Uh, which isn't the worst Street Fighter movie. We talked about that on the show previously with Legend of Chun-Li. But unfortunately, Street Fighter from 1994 isn't much better. Um, the reasonings are not related to Van Damme in this case. It's because of the late, great Ralph Julia in his final performance as M. Bison going so for broke in every scene. Which is a game over! And shit like that. So good. Um, but Jean-Claude is definitely in a stage where, like, the, I know Capcom, who co-produced the movie and had like a lot of final say really wanted John claude to play the guile character and you can tell he does not give a single fuck and apparently there's a lot of weird behind the scenes stuff with him just like being very egocentric and like very much a like i'm the star here and you all are like beneath me you're all shitty because he was on a lot of coke and you can really feel it on the screen and it results in a really bad little action movie and then my two good ones one we kind of teased before is uh the second uh, collaboration between Van Damme and Peter Himes, which is Sudden Death, uh, which came out in 1995, and is a very clear diehard ripoff. It's basically uh, Jean-Claude plays a retired fireman who has a lot of, like PTSD from a big cave-in that happened in his career in the opening, and so now he's a fire marshal, but really more like a janitor of sorts at this hockey stadium, and he brings his kids, because he's a divorced parent, over to like the big hockey game um, over in Pittsburgh. And uh, while they're there, it turns out that a bunch of terrorists have uh, 
occupied the big uh, VIP box because the vice president is there. And it's a lot of fun in terms of, like, I would argue it's upper echelon diehard ripoff. It's very close to something like a speed for me in terms of the diehard in a blank movies that came out around this time. In this case, in a hockey stadium, it's very well shot. There's a lot of fun action beats, particularly one in which Jean-Claude beats the shit out of one of the terrorists inside a penguin's uh, mascot outfit in the kitchen. That's really dope and really enjoyable. Um, but the big thing is, even though Jean-Claude's great, the MVP of the movie is Powers Booth as the version of Hans Gruber here, who is just eating so much scenery and stealing all of the movie and is so fucking good. So just like, yeah, I'm evil. I don't give a shit. Like, that's his attitude the whole time. It's so goddamn good and it's worth watching this movie for sure. Just like that performance alone is so damn good. Um, but the other good one I want to talk about is one that I did really like, but I had a reservation with at least the version that's available. I'm talking about JCVD, which is one of the more introspective recent ones that came out uh, where John claude plays a version of himself who is in dire straits and is in a big custody battle over his kid uh, with uh, his most recent wife. And so uh, he ends up trying to go to a bank so he can pay off his agent and also get some money to like transfer over so he doesn't end up uh, losing his lawyer. And uh, while he's at this bank in Brussels, his hometown, uh, there ends up being a hostage situation. So he ends up being kidnapped along with everybody else. And uh, it's a very introspective look because it's very much Jean-Claude has action moments, but he seems tired and out of it. And just you, he really embraces being washed up in this and has a phenomenal monologue where he just talks directly to the camera, just removes any sort of shed that like, oh, this isn't like a, a fun action romp of sorts and just gives a phenomenal performance. But I will say my big problem with at least the version available in the States is it is only available in the English dub. And the movie is, I would say, 80% in French. There's a few points where he actually speaks English. And we've done a bad impression of him throughout this whole episode, like his specific brand of doing, like, speaking English. The version that is available is maybe one of the worst dubs I've ever heard. And it's very clear that they didn't get Jean-Claude to do the dub because there are points where he'll speak in his very typical, like, accent so distinctive from all these movies. And then we'll cut to the dub over and it's some other actor, and it is massively distracting. It is just, like, such a bummer, especially when he's delivering such a great performance that this is the only real version available in the States. And it's a big thing where, like, the whole time I was just, like, searching, like, can I watch a French version with subtitles? Like, this is one of those cases where I don't always mind dubs, but this is a clear case of, like, I, if I ever watch this movie again, it will not be the dubbed version. And hopefully... Sites like Amazon Prime and shit like that will have that version available because that's watching the clip of the monologue alone in his French dialect with the subtitles is a vast improvement over that really bad dub. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with uh, all of your choices for sure. And I second uh, Sudden Death as being definitely uh, not only top tier Van Damme, but one of the best diehard ripoffs ever. And it is just a masterful villain performance from powers booth he's so fucking good in it everything he does in it works and uh yeah jcvd i i used to own it uh when i had physical media and uh i remember having that problem too the first time i watched it with the dub uh to the point where it was almost hard to watch but the dvd i had did have the original french track and uh so i switched to that and uh yeah it, it made a 
world of difference. And I mean a complete world of difference. It took a movie that might have gotten like a two and a half, you know, to uh, easily a three and a half. Uh, a whole point up with the subtitles. The less to say about Street Fighter, I mean, the the better. Uh, he's yeah, that's a terrible, terrible film, and I completely agree with Expendables too as well. The, you know, the first one I'd argue is very cheesy and silly and just really sort of meathead dumb action, uh, but the second one takes it to a whole other level and it, it really suffers for it. Um, to the point where then you get the the awful third one, and I'm I'm still they still talk about they're going to do a fourth, and I, I just really hope they don't. Um, also, just a brief shout yeah. out with JCVD, um, the opening shot that's like one take is also phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, oh no, yeah, it's great. Yeah, um, and then I want to get into mine real quick because I know we both have something else we want to discuss. Yes, I'm going to start off with my bad picks as well because I don't really have much to say about them just other than that they're terrible. Uh, my first bad pick is knockoff, uh, which knockoff uh, it's about the fashion industry. First of all, about, about knockoffs in, in fashion. And they try so hard in this movie to make Van Damme fight like a Jackie Chan, where he's using everything in his environment, you know, car doors, seatbelts uh, constantly. And it's just, it doesn't work for him. It, it looks so phony and so overtly choreographed. And I mean, if you can't watch a martial arts movie and at least enjoy the martial arts, then the, the rest of the movie is going to be terrible. And this is a thousand percent that. It is a terrible, terrible film. And then uh, one of my least favorites of his, too, is one that he did a little earlier in his career, uh, Nowhere to Run. He's uh, a convict that hides out at this farmhouse. And uh, the mom, you know, she, she's a single mother and it's Rosanna Arquette. And uh, if you want to talk about two people having the least amount of chemistry on screen, they, they're just damn near right there. Uh, the only saving grace for Nowhere to Run is a very over-the-top Ted Levine is the bad guy. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it is just a shit fest of a movie. It is so bad. Such weird sexual talk between the mother and the kids about Van Damme. Like, it's just, it's really bizarre. And then for my good ones, I have actually... Uh, which I believe now would be the fourth sequel to uh, Universal Soldier. It's Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. What they did is they sort of handed the reins over to Scott Atkins, who's a very capable martial artist and fighter, and actually plays uh, Van Damme's right-hand man in Expendables 2. And Van Damme plays is the same character he was in the first one, but he's become like a cult leader uh, for all the other Universal Soldiers to follow and and things like that. And he's, it's really bizarre, man. He, he's really good as this sort of quiet villain. He's scary. Like he paints his face half different colors and shit. Like it, it's really, really weird. Great one shot action scenes in this. Uh, it's, it's super fun. Is it great? No, but it's really good action and a really interesting Van Damme performance. And then my other one, it, it's kind of a hard one. Like, I want it to be Kickboxer so bad. I love Kickboxer, but after rewatching it recently, uh, with you actually, there's a whole sexual assault rape subplot that really derails any of the fun you're having anytime it's it's sort of mentioned because it's handled really disgustingly. As obviously as rape should be, 
but it's just it, it has serves no purpose. But in a cheap way for this particular movie. Yeah, to make a bad guy even more evil. Yeah. Like he's a pretty bad guy. It's not necessary to go that far. But for the good and the fun stuff that's in there, there is a lot of it. Uh, so I'd argue it's still a pretty enjoyable movie, especially for an early Van Dam. Um, it's just that the whole rape subplot is, is really unnecessary. Well, and but, also the, the particular the look of that villain as well, who is played who is supposed to be like a Thai. Um, sort of like villainous character, but is played by another Belgian actor in Yellowface. Yeah, Michel Kisi, who actually plays one of the French Foreign Legion guys yes. in uh, Ironheart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty bad. Um, but again, there's a, the fun that is in this movie. There is a lot of it to be had. Um, so that those would be mine. Um, I mean, yeah, I, the only one of those I've seen is Kickboxer. And, I mean, I will say with Kickboxer, that one has all those problems that we mentioned. I do agree with them. Uh, but at the same time, it has so much of, like, the same kind of, like, fun elements that we're talking about. Um, particularly with, uh, there are points where Jean-Claude Van Damme hears ghosts when he's training out in, like, abandoned temples. But also, it would be most notable for any of you all who probably know Van Damme mostly as the guy who dances in those gifts. Uh, that's where this comes from, and that sequence is just as great as you want it to be <laughs> his muscle like strap shirt has so many different fastening apparatuses to it uh that is completely unnecessary and a fucking half zipper at the front it's just like what guys yep. it's, it's too much with this fucking shirt um <laughs> and i know i've heard a lot of good things about the at least the more recent universal soldier movies and that we did also watch universal soldier and that one is so messy where like the first half of it is like dumb in a way that's aggravating and then it gets fun in the second half um, so I'd be curious to see, especially because I know um, both the one that you brought up, Dave Reckoning, and also uh, Regeneration, were both made by John Himes, who was the son of Peter uh, Himes, and also Peter w- did the cinematography for his son for re- at least the Regeneration. Yeah, and it's obvious. Mm-hmm. It's obvious. It's a pretty slick-looking movie. Uh, there's not a lot of fun in them, I'll tell you that. They're, they're, it's not a fun action movie. It, it's a straight-up, like, violent action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get out of the redo, we don't usually do this, but we both need to sincerely recommend another thing that's not even a movie, um, because um, I watched this in prep for this show as well, and I'm stunned by how good it is. Um, in 2017, uh, Jean Claude Van Damme did a streaming series for Amazon called Jean Claude Van Johnson, where the premise of it is he plays another fictionalized version of himself, but the twist on it is that John claude Van Damme's whole career has actually been a cover-up for him being an actual secret agent. And so while he's shooting in this series, um, this dumb action movie version of Huckleberry Finn, uh, he is also in the middle of trying to stop like this uh, group of terrorists who they think are initially drug dealers, but then it turns out they have like a secret weather device and stuff like that. It's only six episodes long. It got canceled after that six episodes. And watching it, it's that weird shame of just like, Despite how dumb that premise sounds, the show is kind of brilliant. Yeah, no, it it definitely is. It's definitely brilliant. It, it, it you know, I've been trying to get anybody to watch this show since I saw it, and nobody does because it, you know, when you explain to them what it is, they're like, "That sounds fucking dumb," and it is, but it's brilliant in how silly it is, and how it does not take itself seriously at all. Well, no, it's a weird thing where it does at times, but. It's so phenomenal the way it does it because it's so weirdly, despite how silly that premise sounds, and there's like a weather machine and the Huckleberry Finn thing, all this other stuff. At the same time, 
I think it's Van Damme's best performance in anything, even with like a JCVD, because oh, he's able to be like incredibly silly and even play multiple characters, including there's a point where he encounters like a, his biggest fan who just so happens to look exactly like Jean-Claude Van Damme. And he never acknowledges that he looks like Jean-Claude Van Damme named Philippe. And it's Jean-Claude like being a bit more hunched over and having a weird voice that sounds like this. Um, the whole time, and it's so fucking funny, but there's a weird pathos to both him and even Jean-Claude Van Johnson, like, facing his own, like, fucking fan and all this other shit. It is stunning how it manages to be both a really funny, satiric, silly series, and also an introspective look into Jean-Claude's, like, regrets about his career and his life, and how much he's had to, like, fucking go through. I am shocked at how fucking amazing Jean-Claude Van Johnson is, and I would recommend it, especially because there are 30-minute episodes, and there's only six of them, so you can watch it in an afternoon. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I, I can't highly recommend it enough. Uh, it, it, it's just, it's top-tier parody material. It's fantastic. Stunning. But that is the end of our extended review, as it were, so we're going to go to the close of the show, though uh, stay tuned for us doing our picking at the end of the show. Um, in fact, we do have a bit of feedback we wanted to read in reference to the redo, where uh, James Rodriguez, previous guest on the show, uh, at RoddersJ04, uh, had his suggestions for um, a double redo related to last week's topic of 2021 movies so far, where he says, One, glad to see the Mitchells versus the Machines and Slack mentioned on here. Um, for good picks of my own, the somber look at Grief Pig and the love child of Toy Story 3 and a slasher film, Benny Loves You. And then as for bad, the nostalgia orgy that is Space Jam A New Legacy and the regressive music. Uh, I mean, out of all of those, I've only seen Space Jam. And yeah. uh, I, I definitely, definitely agree. That, that is a uh, dumpster fire of a film. We've both seen Space Jam A New Legacy. Um, we did an episode about where we covered Space Jam not too long ago. And I talked about how, like, oh, I feel so, like, fucking sad watching this. Um, Space Jam and New Legacy is somehow so much more sad and pathetic oh. and even less of a movie. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. It's somehow worse than Cherry, which we dogged on last episode. It is worse than Cherry. It's somehow worse than Cherry. Stunning. I don't understand. But, I mean, I, I'm very curious to see Pig, though. I've heard, like, great things. And I'm very excited, especially with the premise of just, oh, it's a revenge movie where Nicolas Cage wants to get back his pig. But I've heard it's like, oh, it's genuinely like quiet and soulful. And it's one of Cage's like most serious dramatic performances in so long. I'm like, oh, in, in like a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely check it out. I mean, it's not something I'm necessarily going to seek out. But uh, if, if I catch it somewhere, I'll, I'll definitely watch it for sure, for sure. And yeah, I mean, I've heard of Benny Loves You. That seems interesting. I've heard surprisingly good things about that. And also music. That was the one that Sia made that starred Keith Hudson and got like all the, uh, right, all the infamous things about like the people who had autism having issues with it. And she lashed out at people who had autism about like, fuck you, I can cast a non-autistic person. This is my movie. I can do what I want. Like, oh, Sia, stop. Just stop hanging from that chandelier. Get, just get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that whole thing. Yeah, but can you believe that happened this year? <laughs> no. <really>, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you for that feedback, James. And anyone else who wants to submit feedback, definitely do, especially for your own reduce, as it were. We'd love to read them on the show. We also want to thank some people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our great artwork. Follow him on Twitter at night of water that's night with a k underscore of underscore water 
uh, to see all his other great work. Um, and thank you to our loyal Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash ddbpodboard for just $1 a month. You all get to uh, vote in polls where we cover things like Jean-Claude Van Damme, chosen by our lovely Edgelord Patreon subscribers um you get to listen to bonus podcasts as well like stay tuned later this week we will have um a new little uh rotation thing where we like doing at least one bonus podcast a month and this time we're doing a little experiment called television where adam and i uh recommend shows that the other person hasn't seen and uh, we uh, talk about them. We'll be recording that soon, uh, right after literally this episode's recorded, where uh, Adam watches Gravity Falls that I recommended, and I watch Barry, which he recommended. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And not too long after that, we'll also be doing On the Edge of Relevance, where we do talk about 2021 movies. Uh, this week that we're releasing, this is the week of The Green Knight coming out, and we're definitely planning on seeing that because uh, we're both very excited for the new uh, picture with uh, the the Dev Patel, all the people are swooning over, which, I mean, I get it. Yeah, I can't wait to see that fucking movie. I cannot wait to see that fucking movie. Yep, and we'll talk about it on The Edge of Relevance. And you can listen to those two things and all sorts of other great bonus podcasts we've done over the last year on there for just one dollar. One dinero. Yeah! And uh, for more of us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDVPod. Um, and also you can email us feedback at DoubleEdgeDoubleBill at gmail.com. All spelled out. And, uh, you know, if you can't support us on the Patreon, uh, why not help us out by buying some merchandise at the ESOT Public Store with our logo on it? Uh, There'll be a link in the description uh, where you can buy a mug or a t-shirt, all sorts of other things with our great logo on it. So uh, how can they really help us out, Adam, since we get a kickback from that? Buy our merch! Buy our merch! You gotta really sell it with a Jean-Claude noise. Oh, buy our merch! Yeah! Yeah, <laughs> goddamn right. And for more of my own individual antics, you can uh, find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxes at Not the Who's Tommy. I also do some writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and Film-Cred.com. I also probably have in the description here a link to I was a guest on a friend of the show, Rafe Telsh's podcast. Have not seen this. I'm the first uh, three Peter guest for his show, uh, where I went on and talked about the underrated Martin Scorsese classic the king of comedy and i promise it's not all joker bashing though there is a fair amount in there well look at you mr big shot three peaten motherfucker hey better to be king three times than schmuck for a lifetime that's hey yeah all right i uh <laughs> you can find me on twitter or instagram at atom or adam that's a-t-o-m underscore o-r underscore a-d-a-m uh or you could find me on letterboxd at schwanson that's s-c-h-w-a-n-d-t-s-o-n yes for all his uh hot takes on film not really that hot so hot oh the burn around the oven hot hot takes for my review of time cop on letterboxd i did write a piece of erotic fanfic yes it's it's glorious writing so brilliant brilliant stuff there <laughs> um and for more of our antics on here you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher and other podcasting platforms if you're listening on eso why not listen to all the other great shows on there and you can also dig into the archives on our podbean main feed uh, for shows even before we joined eso and nothing else if you can't Buy that merch or subscribe to the Patreon for just a dollar. The completely, uh, I believe, free way, yes, that's what I'm seeing here, free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around because that gets us more visibility and gets people to join our own underground fight ring. I mean podcast community. 
That's what we do here. Yeah, not that hard too. You know what I mean? The fight ring or the podcast community. It's just a bunch of slouches and losers. But but, uh, but both, to be fair, require the heart of a lion to do. Heart of a lion. Heart of a lion. Heart of a lion. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Joshua. <laughs> Thank you, Joshua. <laughs> yes, wherever you are. But now, Adam, it's time we got to our picking for next week's episode. Because every week, as I mentioned at the top, we both either have two good or two bad movies that we uh, assign numbers to. And then the other person picks a random number between 1 and 10. And whatever that number is closest to ends up being our good or bad feature. Uh, and you have the two bad, I have the two good for this particular week that we're going to do. Though keep in mind, we do have something called the Godfather Rule implemented. Where from now until May of 2022, we have our next anniversary. Adam and I each have a single veto that we have to use by that point um, in our back pocket. So if someone says, oh, like, hey, I picked this particular number. Oh, that gets closest to this particular choice for either good or bad. Adam and I have the potential to say, you know what? Actually, I'll take the cannoli on that, which thus means the veto is used and the other choice ends up being our pick. And uh, for this particular week, uh, in honor of The Suicide Squad is coming out, we're doing something a bit interesting, a little subgenre of uh, kind of like action adventure filmmaking. We're talking about men on a mission movies, where that's uh, a big influence for James Gunn, apparently, with this new Suicide Squad was stuff like The Dirty Dozen other movies like that uh, that involve a bunch of people going out on a big mission that could lead to their deaths. And uh, it's an interesting genre, subgenre that I'm curious to see what our picks are for. Yeah, definitely. Me too. I'm, I'm very, very curious how this is going to go. Yes, yes. But I have the two good and I must do bad. So Adam, for my two good choices, please pick a number between one and ten. I will go with number six. Okay, I'm You could veto this, but uh, my choice that I have here at number seven is one I'm very excited to talk about. I've wanted to talk about this movie on the show for so long, and I think it's a great, very underrated movie. From Mr. Walter Hill, I have 1984 Streets of Fire. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, you're not taking the cannoli, I assume? (laughs) Fuck no. We are definitely talking about Streets of Fire, baby. Fuck yes. I'm so down. Oh, of course. Uh But... At number two, I had another choice. I wouldn't have been against a movie I haven't seen, but maybe I'm kind of glad because it's a very long movie, apparently. That's why I haven't watched it for so long, is uh, the classic The Great Escape. Also a great, great movie, but I think Streets of Fire is going to be way more fun to talk about. Oh, baby. (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right. Now, your two bad choices, Adam. I am going to pick number three. Okay. At number two, I have a movie with... Just a fucking stellar cast, man. That just failed miserably. I have the, uh, I don't even know what you would classify it. I have the Monuments Men. Okay. The George Clooney directed film. Yeah, with fucking, like, the cast is crazy. But do you want to take the cannoli on that? You know, I've heard it's very bad. But at the same time, it is one of the few George Clooney movies that he's directed I haven't seen and I think there's a lot we can talk about, even if the movie's not good. <laughs> I think there's a lot around the movie we can definitely talk about. So I will not be taking the cannoli on that, sir. All right. And at number nine, yeah, number nine, I have Space Truckers with Dennis Hopper. Oh, the uh, from the late great Stuart Gordon. Yes. I, uh, it's a terrible film. <laughs> I have not seen that particular film, um, but okay, so... Monuments Men in the Streets of Fire. Very interesting double feature we'll be having next yeah, week. different. Very different, for sure, yes. I'm into it. 
yeah, for sure. We'll be talking all about that next week. But until then, Adam, it's time that you really captured the heart of the lion. And please get me some KFC. I'm very hungry. I would fuck up some KFC right now. <laughs> hey, look, save, just save some for me, especially those uh, drumsticks. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Yeah! Yeah, has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.